Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. If you have young children, you know that paying for child care can take a big chunk out of your paycheck, sometimes almost all of it. And now the cost is going up. Today, families across the United States spend 30% more on their average child care payments than they did in 2019. That's according to new data from Bank of America. But at the same time, many child care workers make barely enough to support themselves. Here in Minnesota, child care centers have trouble paying competitive wages. And home daycare businesses are closing faster than new ones open to replace them. This hour, I'm talking with the director of a Minneapolis child care center and the director of a statewide nonprofit called Child Care Aware. We'll hear why affordable child care is so hard to establish and about new state funding that could bring more people into the profession. And as we talk, I want to hear from you too. Are you a parent who has struggled to find or afford child care? How are you coping? If you are a child care worker or run a child care business, I want to know what motivates you to do this work. What are the biggest challenges? You can call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, the number is six five one two two seven six thousand. Or you can call us at eight hundred two four two. 2828. The phone lines are open. To start us off, I have two NPR News reporters joining us who've been covering child care and early education. Hannah Yang is joining us. Hannah is the Southwest Minnesota senior reporter for NPR News, and she's joining us from New Ulm this morning. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning, Angela. Hi there. And in the studio with me here in St. Paul, I have Kyra Miles. Kyra is the early childhood education reporter for NPR News. Hi, Kyra. Hey. Hi, good morning. So Kyra, you just joined NPR News this past summer, and you have been out in communities uh, reporting about a range of issues. But tell us, what are you hearing about the child care shortage? Well, what I'm hearing is that the demand for child care is very high, but the supply, the, the number of spots and openings that are available is, is pretty low. Mm-hmm. So due to financial stressors and lack of staffing, um, child care programs are having to make hard decisions about raising tuition or cutting spots or even closing down entirely. So um, the providers are underpaid, but the parents still need care, especially for infants. I'm hearing that's the highest demand with the lowest supply for a mm-hmm. lot of providers. I remember that. My kids are in college, but I remember you had to get on wait lists, yeah. you know, back when you were pregnant to mm-hmm. be able to get, you know, maybe your first choice. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't changed in all these years, it seems mm-hmm. like. Okay. And Kyrie, so you're working on a, a story now focused on family child care, what many of us still call home day care, uh, often with one person, usually out of someone's house. What are some of the biggest challenges for people who want to open or keep running a family child care business? Yeah. So over the course of reporting for this story, um, for, just to start a family child care, you first need a home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and home ownership in Minnesota and, and across the, uh, the country is down. Most people are renting and landlords mm-hmm. or homeowners associations don't always allow people to rent a child care business out of it. Um, uh, that's one barrier. There's also language and cultural barriers to getting a license. When you're trying to start, there's a lot of paperwork that right. can be confusing in English, let alone if English is your second or your third language. Um, so I, the state has has some new policies in place to try to make starting a family child care easier, like the Wayfinder Network that they do offer in different languages. But it can still be difficult. And for current license holders, it can be difficult because family child care is licensed by county, while centers are licensed by the state. So some county licensing offices are 
are overwhelmed or they're understaffed, leaving some people looking to start one in limbo. Um, and those who have one, you know, just having to deal have with to that as well. Wait, right. A lot of problems, a lot mm-hmm. of challenges. Uh, Hannah, you're living and reporting from rural Minnesota for us here at NPR News. How is the child care shortage affecting the rural economy? I mean, what do you hear when you talk to employers about this, Hannah? Uh, well, Angela, you know, so I live in uh, southwest Minnesota, and, you know, there's six of us uh, reporters out in greater Minnesota. So that alone should tell you that, you know, these um, the issue of um, child care shortages isn't just in the metro areas in the Twin Cities area, but it's mm-hmm. all over greater Minnesota. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I hear often is the lack of affordable child care and how it's preventing a lot of parents from joining the workforce. Um, you know, I had interviewed a child care provider here in Newell that had shared that some parents called her crying because they were fearing that they were going to lose their jobs because there were no spots open. And in turn, you know, they're, you know, they're worried about having to find a spot. Um, you know, they're trying to find, um, you know, jobs. They're trying to enter the workforce, but they can't. And in turn, employers can't find workers because in turn, they, they can't find employees because their employees can't find people to look after their children. What a mess. And, you know, I, yeah, you know, it, it, it all is, it, it, it causes a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, um, you know, when I spoke with, uh, you know, the New All Medical Center president, um, you know, one of the most persistently frequent, persistently asked questions during the hiring process mm-hmm. was childcare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he mentioned that some are having to call and reserve childcare spots. And I think you touched on it earlier was that, you know, a lot of, you know, candidates are even having to plan, you know, their families before conception. So that's wow. a huge challenge. And so, Hannah, you, you reference, and this is something we talk about a lot in our newsroom, the differences between uh, living in rural communities across Minnesota and in urban areas. Uh, and, and when I think of some of the child care challenges unique to rural areas, I think about just income because, you know, the income in many uh, small towns is not as high as it is uh, in the metro. Right, right. Um, yeah, and so that's that's the thing, though, right? Um, the median income isn't as high in rural areas, and the cost of daycare compares to metro prices. And that's um, one of the things that a lot of parents have told me about. You know, while child care center capacity is trending upward statewide, um, that's mostly concentrated in the most populated counties, and rural areas that have less people are less likely to sustain child care centers, and they struggle to maintain programs. And mm-hmm. Um, another challenge that we're seeing is, like, depending on the employer, there's not enough providers who can care for the children of workers on different shifts. So, right. you know, you may have, like, parents that are working overnight shifts, and, you know, there's not a lot of providers who work overnight or operate during those, um, you know, those unique hours. So that keeps right. one parent at home and unable to work. Um, and the drive so, you time. Know, you know, I grew up in a rural community. I remember <laughs> driving 30, 40 minutes oh, for right. many things, and that has to be an issue, too. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, you know, parents are I you know, I actually talked to this one parent. They're having to drive so far to find child care openings for their children. Um, some even driving 40 minutes to an hour in separate towns, you know, to pick up their children. Um, many rely on families out here. There was a parent who debated driving to her in-law in Mankato or driving 15 miles to Sleepy Eye. But her in-law in town was thankfully able to watch her son. But the problem was, she couldn't get her child into childcare until two years after the fact. So her father-in-law had to watch her child, you know, for two years until she could get her child into, you know, 
to an actual opening mm-hmm. of a child care center. So Kyra was mentioning, um, we were talking about um, home daycares, these family child care uh, facilities out of people's homes. What have you seen in terms of what seems to be helping family daycare providers uh, get started or stay in business in some of these rural parts of the state? So, Angela, you know, and that's the thing, though, you know, um, you know, despite all, um, you know, it, it, it can sound really disheartening. But what I've noticed during throughout my reporting out here in rural Minnesota is that a lot of communities can get very creative and very innovative. Um, and one of the things that I think that comes up a lot in conversations, um, you know, with experts and organizations, uh, who work directly with communities that are trying to solve, um, you know, their childcare shortages is, you know, finding solutions to address their unique needs. Because I think that the key here is that um, solutions and, uh, that could help solve, um, you know, shortages up in uh, the metro areas may not necessarily um, fit uh, the needs of a rural community. So, um, you know, or, uh, organizations like the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation, they were hosting trainings in different languages uh, in different rural communities to make trainings more accessible for those who are interested in learning, the, um, in interested in becoming a child care provider. Um, there's um, pod models that New Ulm is exploring where... What's a pod um, model? Kind of a, what is that? I know. That, I know it sounds interesting, right? <laughs> and so in New Ulm, it's, so it's kind of a similar concept to like renting out a chair in a hair salon where, um, you know, a separate child care providers can share a building space and operate from inside of there. So they share resources, mm-hmm. but they can actually share the, you know, kind of like a share a space right. so that they can move outside of their home and move into like a centralized location. And then we have um, more options. Um, so Kyra, let's talk yeah. about, as we look at uh, other solutions, uh, the state legislature uh, tried uh, to address the child care crisis this past session with new funding and programs. And so Kyra, what happened during the session? A lot happened during the session. What did we miss? Uh, what have you been following there that might be encouraging the folks? Yeah, the state created the new Department of Children, Youth and Families. Um, that's going to make it easier for caregivers and families to get information about child care and early education. It'll combine four uh, programs from four state agencies into one to kind of make it like a, a one-stop shop, especially for caregivers, um, so they can spend less time doing paperwork um, for ever many different people and ever many different apartments in different counties and spend more time giving quality care to the kids they have. Mm-hmm. Um, the governor also passed a $1.3 billion budget specifically for children. So um, um, that's put more money into the child care assistance program, which gives money to low-income families to help pay for child care, also money for voluntary pre-K programs that are hosted in public schools across the state. Um, Recently, the state also started up the Great Start Compensation Payments, which are a continuation of um, pandemic relief that's now permanent funding that gives money to child care providers specifically to help pay their staff more and get them closer to a living wage and hopefully attract more people to the profession. So um, So those child care workers can get additional pay that's that's funded by the state. Yeah, that money, Mm -hmm. the 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 programs um, can apply for that funding mm-hmm. and specifically to be used to um, get better benefits or a pay or anything else to help keep people um, in their jobs. Right. Um, so those payments are starting to go out this month um, and hopefully they'll help some providers. But, you know, the state has put a lot of money into 
a lot of different things. I didn't even name them all, but we'll just have to wait to see um, if they help the people they're meant to be helping. All right. I have some optimism. Yeah. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, two of our, our great reporters here at NPR News getting us started. Uh, Kyra Miles, the early education, early childhood education reporter for NPR News, and Hannah Yang there, uh, the Southwest Minnesota senior reporter for NPR News. Thank you, Kyra. Thank you, Hannah, for getting us started. Thanks. All right. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking about the child care crisis. What is going on? Uh, The challenges. And I want to know, I want to hear from you. I want to take your phone calls. Uh, Are you a parent who has struggled to find or afford child care? How are you coping? Are you a child care worker or someone who is running a child care business? What motivates you to do this uh, very important work? And what are your challenges? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or call us at 800-222-222. 2828. And because we're already getting so many phone calls, I want to take uh, a couple of calls before I introduce my next two guests who are here in the studio who can tell us more about the child care crisis. I want to take a couple of phone calls here. Uh, in St. Paul, Jane is on the phone already. And Jane, what did you want to tell us as we talk about uh, child care? Jane, are you there? Okay, I'm not hearing Jane. Uh, let me try uh, another caller we have here in New Brighton. We've got Andrea on the phone. Uh, Andrea, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Good Hi. morning. Hi. What did you want to tell us about the child care situation here in Minnesota? Well, I I have two children. And um, back in 2014, when I had my first kiddo, my husband and I literally created a spreadsheet. And I think we had 42 or 43 daycare centers wow. in homes that we tried to call around the metro. And we literally had two options. Um, it was just ridiculous. And we ended up going with one that it was just before she felt forced to do it. And um, that was back in 2014. And then I had a baby in May of 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. which was a nightmare. And at that time, we had lined up um, daycare, yeah, daycare, and we had to cancel that. And we ended up paying extensive amount for a nanny and while I tried to work through all this and it was difficult with my husband and I but you know we did it and then um, I ended up quitting my corporate job downtown Minneapolis after about 15 years and I am a stay-at-home mom now so um, and is was it because of the the finances the math just didn't work or was it just because it was okay right yeah it was just a lot with money and everything like that so and we do live in the metro and I just you know, we're above average felt like for income for childcare and mm-hmm. or for income for a family. It just, uh, it's just outrageous. Mm-hmm. And how old are your kids now? Um, the oldest one, she's nine in third grade. And uh, my youngest, he's almost three and a half. Okay. Thank you, um, uh, Andrea, for calling in there and New Brighton and giving us an example of, of, you know, what we've heard so much about already. Uh, I want to introduce uh, the guests we have in the studio as we continue talking about the high cost of child care. Here with me, I have Anne uh, McCulley. Is that right? McCulley. Right. Anne McCulley is here. Anne has uh, been the Ch- executive director of Child Care Aware of Minnesota for more than 20 years. And this is a nonprofit uh, organization that leads the state's child care aware system. And that's a network of 13 agencies funded through the Minnesota Department of Human Services. They educate and engage parents. They train people working in early education and child care and try to build community support for child care. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Angela. We also have with us Phyllis Sloan. Phyllis is here. Phyllis is the executive director of La Crush 
Early Childhood Centers, which runs two child care centers in North Minneapolis. She's been there for more than 25 years. I know you have some stories. Good morning, Phyllis. <laughs> Good morning, Angela. Hi, nice to have you guys here. So, and help us better understand um, this money problem because it, it seems to be at the heart of the child care shortage and a lot of a lot of a lot of stress. Prices are too high for many families to afford, but often the wages are too low to attract enough uh, quality workers and in some cases just not enough you know to live on so why is this such um, why is this such a mess I guess is my question well I think you you, you first of all your reporters did a fantastic job of covering the waterfront thank you I, I, I almost said what did. I can go home now no no, no. <laughs> no. they did do a fantastic you did. job mm-hmm. so I think you heard though in the call from Andrea that you know really this this first of all the challenges you're hearing are not necessarily new to this field we had this in happening before the pandemic, yeah. what the pandemic did was just deepen that challenge and and bring it to light and bring more people into understanding that particularly economic challenge when you talk about employers and people trying to go back to work and that kind of thing. You know, really, it's, it's you touched on, you just said the word math, and that's sometimes what I think of this as, is that we have tried for before my time, and certainly the 20 years I've been around, to try to make this work as a market system, meaning we ask parents to pay the vast majority of the expenses of childcare. Mm-hmm. And it it just doesn't work, quite honestly. And we're finally coming to grips, I think, in what we're seeing. It, the breaking point is that we cannot make this work on a system that primarily asks parents. Because when we talk about what parents pay, I'm, I'm trying to train myself to use, that's the price. That's what our programs can charge. Um, oftentimes, they're not charging the true cost of care, because frankly, especially for infant care, which we touched on, if providers and programs truly charged parents what it costs, it would be even higher. So let, let's give let's talk about some numbers. Can you give us some numbers for those of us who've been out of the child care game for a couple of decades here? What is the cost to a family uh, to place a child in child care? What are families actually paying? Some examples. Sure. So one of the things I always try to remind people is that when you say child care, that's a big bucket. Right. And underneath it, as you've already touched on, we have licensed family child care homes, we have centers. And we have a wide range of geography, and those right. geographies differ. So, you know, I, I just pulled because people are always interested in that infant care number. It can range from if you are in a smaller family child care home, that can be as low as $8,000 a year in a very rural area, but it can be upwards of $20,000 in a center in the metro area. So it, it's not a singular answer, but right. it can run that range. For infants. So For infants. Are you able to, so a week or a month, what is it? Those are annual numbers. So what um, am I looking at a month? Yeah. So so for instance, it's in a center that's right around $354 a week, if I remember correctly. A week. Mm-hmm. And about half that in our most mm-hmm. rural family child care homes for a cent- for a for an infant. And then as we get into I guess what's the next the toddler toddler tends mm-hmm. to be a little bit and as the child gets older mm-hmm. the dollars go down part at least somewhat and that's mostly simply because the largest singular cost in running childcare is labor and we want our smallest possible ratio of infants to adults, right, and it costs more. It and, for safety because you got to watch them. You got to for safety, for health and development, for healthy right. growth. All the things we want to see in any kind of relationship with small children. So, how, how much is that costing uh, the toddler? That is that. 
sure. annually or, or monthly. Toddler care goes down a little bit right now. And, and I did want to say we are right in the midst in Minnesota of something we do every three years called the market rate survey. So we will have fresh data in mm-hmm. February. So this is a little bit dated. But as of the last time we had data in our system, so if, if I, for instance, said in the um, in a center average 18,000 plus for infants, it's more like 16,000 for toddlers. And then we drop down to something like 14,000 for preschool age. A year. A year. All right. And this, that's for one child. So if I have two or three, which a lot of families do, you have siblings close in age, it's more. Um, And and one more thing, and you know, in Mm -hmm. the introduction, I talked nationally, I said that childcare costs have been steadily rising. Uh, Families nationally are spending 30% more on average childcare payments than they did in 2019. So just a few years ago. Astonishing. Are we seeing that um, increase here in Minnesota? Is it as as bad here in Minnesota? Are we doing a little better? You know, again, not knowing our 2023 data fully, but looking at what we have from 2019 to the most current data we do have, we are not seeing anything like a 30%. We might be seeing, I think, the highest I saw. I did some spot checking after I saw that report come out because I knew we'd get questions. Mm-hmm. Highest we saw was maybe 16%, but more like a 12 to 16 is probably what we're seeing at least right now. But that's a jump. It is definitely right. a jump. There's, that. there's no question that, you know, we can we can talk about the data and the numbers, but it is okay. expensive. Well, let, let's talk about the babies. Okay. <laughs> Phyllis, you've been running um, LaCrèche La Early Childhood Centers in North Minneapolis since 1997. Uh, first, tell us about your program. What, what services do you offer to families of these infants and toddlers? Thank you for asking, mm-hmm. Angela. Um, LaCrèche is an established program, dates back to 1969. So we kind of view ourselves as being an anchoring early childhood program in North Minneapolis there on the corner of Logan and Morgan on Olson. Um, the, you said it before, we have two centers. We have an infant, um, infant through school age at the North LaCrèche 1800 Olson Memorial Highway, and then also a toddler center, which we do an early Head Start partnership um, uh, at 1120 Oliver Avenue North. Mm-hmm. Um, that's to say, when full, our capacity should be about 114 children. Um, we take those children, um, and and you also said uh, families have more than one child most often in our communities. Uh, we serve the low-income uh, guidelines by federal uh, status. And so we're seeing, you know, two, three children in a family. Um, and so the children are there with us full day from seven in the morning, oftentimes until six o'clock at night. And we do offer transportation. That's wonderful. So what does that do for a family knowing that they can can leave their infant or toddler at a place that they trust and then be able to, you know, have their time to do what they need to do. Thank you for asking. I believe it offers them security. Um, we'd like to believe that we are, you know, one of the few safety nets for families. Um, a lot of our families do not have extended family. So oftentimes you'll see a single mom come in with two or three children or more. Um, and, you know, she's either new to town or been in town for a while, but again, does not have connections. Um, and so staff kind of as much as possible, attempting to embrace that family. And so in as much as there's, again, a creative curriculum and a vast number of activities that the children do that um, kind of 
propose them to be school ready by the time they leave us. Our, our biggest thing is to kind of bring someone in, circle around them, envelope them, and, and try to. Because you're not babysitters. Not right? at all. Not right? at all. Because not you're, at all. You're, you care about the development of the children. Most definitely. So when we're talking about quality child care, that's what we're talking about, how the time is spent. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so the kids, by age classification, you Anne said it before, infant, toddler, preschooler, school-ager, um, all of these children have in their classrooms a set curriculum that they operate by. Um, we're a NACI or National Association for the Education of Young Children accredited program as well as a Hennepin County Strong Beginning Center uh, mm-hmm. that tries to, again, do wraparound services as much as there is a curriculum for the children um, uh, to gauge that child to be school-ready as um, they leave us. Let's talk about the workers, Phil, as we, we've talked about uh, it can be hard to find and to keep teachers and workers. Um, are you finding that to be an issue, like maintaining and retaining child care staff? It, it is. It is. And it, it has certainly increased since um, uh, COVID-19 um, pandemic. Um, the We are fortunate. We've had a handful of, of of teaching staff that have kind of been the core folks and short of losing two, four remain uh, in the center and then uh, trying our best as we're able to identify not just people, but the right people that mm-hmm. want to do a, a job um, um, and basically see this as a career and kind of purposeful work um, do you where have they want to be here. Do you have a worker shortage? We do. We do while we're we're not at full capacity. Um, I've got classrooms that are not open at this point a, um, because we do not have the staff as yet, have, you know, to to. But at the same time, do you also have classrooms. families on a wait list? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it's so hard. It was hard hearing that caller call in. You know, I think mm-hmm. every provider that's out there, you know, you kind of ache. It's like, you know, the children are there, but we're not at a place where we can serve them because um, we needing to have the staff ratios. And, um, you know, if we're not able to do that appropriately, you know, we, we've got to have them wait. Have you seen uh, child care workers uh, leave for better paying jobs? Yes. Yes, unfortunately. Where do they go? <laughs> you know, anywhere in town right now, unfortunately. And forgive me for, for saying it like that, but, it, you know, it's this this work is, again, um, you know, critical work and essential work, but it's very involved. And so oftentimes, and what I've heard from a couple of staff who have left is, you know, I'm going to make more money somewhere else and I won't have to work as hard. Um, you and know. describe the work. I mean, it's... It's it's wiping noses, it's changing <laughs> diapers. I mean, you're you're holding, you're comforting. It's a lot. It's all of that. It's all of that. You know, surrogate parent at times, if mm-hmm. you will, nurse at times. Um, mm-hmm. when a child is facing illness, um, you know, singers, instructor, <laughs> you you've got it. You you know all of it. Um, mm-hmm. and again, while again, that's very fulfilling in a, on a gratitudinous kind yeah. of kind of place where it, it hits your heart and meets needs there. Um, uh, until recently, have we been able to, again, bring salaries up to a place where, you know, again, we're in a more competitive state um, uh, to support someone who, again, doesn't leave because, again, they they might want to. And on uh, the other side, it's, it's one of those careers, too, where uh, it's not for everyone, but if it is for you, how gratifying it could be because you're nurturing definitely. a young life. So as you talk to people or encourage people to pursue it, or you see people who are doing it well, how do you highlight what the the beauty is of this work? 
Yeah, the children, you know, their beauty, their brilliance, you know, bringing that out, uh, impacting their lives. Um, uh, our slogan is making a difference in the lives of children. And certainly it is that education is relationship based. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing is going to stick if they don't make a connection with someone, particularly, um, uh, that meets their needs in their classroom. So, yes. Yeah, I'm deeply appreciative of the childcare workers that, uh, my family that we had in, in my life when I was, you know, my husband and I were both working full time, uh, and, and need that. Um, and so I, I have great respect and appreciation for uh, child care workers. Let's take some phone calls. Again, we're talking about uh, child care and its challenges. Are you a parent who has struggled to find or afford child care? How are you coping if you are a child care worker or you run a child care business? Tell us what motivates you to do this work and, and what makes it hard. Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or you can call us at 800-242-2828. Uh, let's get back to the phones and we're going to try again. Jane has called back from St. Paul. Jane, are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. Hi, what did you want to tell us uh, about uh, this issue, the childcare crisis? Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. I really enjoyed hearing Phyllis's comments. Um, so talking about the, um, identifying the right people who see it as a career, that is who I am. I've been in this work for about 15 years. Um, well, I've been studying education, early childhood, 15 years. I've been in the practice about nine um and i am burnt out it's you know 9 30 on a monday i should be in school right now i'm not i took a mental health day um so it's wonderful to be using some of my time to advocate for what i need in order to stay in this profession um education begins at birth no matter where children are they are receiving an education that could be at home with a family member um, in-home daycare child care um, in a preschool setting i personally work in a preschool setting in a mixed-age classroom for three- or six-year-olds, um, and I see myself as an early childhood educator. Some things that are keeping me from feeling like I'm thriving in my chosen profession um, are the long hours and the huge needs from families. I am a really skilled educator. I know how to meet families' needs. I know what children need. I know how to build relationships, um, but I simply can't meet I simply can't meet the needs and the demands. Um, we operate in a one to 10 ratio. I know we've heard earlier in this program how hard it is to fund that level of care, but it means that if someone, if a family is experiencing a crisis and that child has really extreme needs, that's going to pull a staff to provide nearly one to one support. Mm -hmm. In the early childhood field, we don't have special education that can provide one to one support. In the same way that you do in elementary once children are in kindergarten. So it just pulls staff and it taxes staff over time and it wears us down. There are things that happen in early childhood. The, the number of hours you're scheduled per day to work with children is different than if you were in a public elementary school. Um, as a lead teacher, I do get some prep time um, during the day. That is always conditional on us being fully staffed. If we're not fully staffed, then that time is I don't get that time, but my assistants and aides are scheduled eight hours with children. We work eight and a half hour days and mm -hmm. with an unpaid half an hour break. Um, and those other eight hours are with children. And so I have an incredible, yeah, sorry. I'm just wondering, Jane, are you seeing this among your colleagues? And, and I'm, I'm happy you're taking a mental health day. I'm glad to hear that you are taking care of yourself and recognizing the value of that. But what do you hear from your colleagues? Uh, do, are they having s similar challenges? Absolutely. I mean, in the time that I have worked, um, I've seen met a revolving door of lead teachers come and go. Um, people similar to myself who have um, multiple degrees, master's degrees, mm -hmm. leaving the profession. Um, 
and let alone, I mean, as, as a lead teacher who has these multiple degrees, I have reached the limit in terms of my salary. Um, right. If, you know, people who serve in the assistant or the aid roles, they make far less than I am. So I don't expect them to continue to do this hard work over and over again um, when it's they're not compensated for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the things that my team members talk about are just like, you know, you have your half an hour break. It's your time to eat lunch. But there isn't a moment in the day where you have to, like, catch your breath. And in order to show up for the children mm-hmm. and to continue to do this really intense work, you have to be able to reach a calm, a calm place in your brain to go back and use all of your wisdom and your tools. Um, and what I'm seeing, what's so tragic, is just the, the impatience and um, you don't you don't have it in you to keep showing up mm-hmm. in a in a joyful way because mm-hmm. you're just depleted and it's just like it's about survival um and i'm so happy you're having this conversation i'm so happy to hear about the new department of children youth and families um i need to hear more people talking about like what are we doing to keep people yes. in the field all mm-hmm. the great work they're doing to support families is phenomenal but if if, if the conditions don't improve for people to feel like they can survive in this field, people who have dedicated their education, like myself, are not going to continue doing that. Jane, uh, Jane in St. Paul. Jane, thank you for taking time uh, to listen to our discussion today and to call in and share your story. I really appreciate it. Thank um, you so much. And so much there, but you, you're nodding a lot. Well, well, Jane, I know you can't <laughs> see my guest, Anne. She's just nodding. Uh, and Phyllis, too, what are you hearing Jane's story? Boy, I hear a lot. And first, I just want to say thank you, Jane, not only for what you do, but for advocating and speaking so eloquently about all of the challenges that folks who pour their life into this work have to face. Um, The stress of COVID was not lost on our workforce. And in fact, you know, we kept childcare programs open in Minnesota. And the the level of of stress and um, helping children deal with with the trauma that they were going through, you know, did not do anything to help some of these same challenges that we know we're facing. So just, I think I want to key in on two things. I want to pick up on your, your definitely on your comments around mental health and the need to have more mental health support and consultation support for the folks who work in our field. And I also want to pick up on your um, plea for more good news or, or supports. And I want to say to you, there's a whole group of us in the advocacy world who've been working very, very hard on exactly what you're naming. The, 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 the adults in the room, I often say, who is our workforce? So you're, you, we absolutely can't forget to talk about the, the children and families and access to care. But if we don't, as you said, address the, the adults in the room and the needs they have. And so we're, we're working off of a blueprint that was, uh, that came out of a task force about a year ago called the Great Start for All Minnesota Children Task Force that really looks at the whole picture. How do we make Childcare affordable for parents and affordable, affordable deemed as no more than 7% of their income. But how do we also make sure that we have a diverse, equitably compensated, supported, qualified workforce? Those are big words. <laughs> um, lots of things to, to do there under that umbrella. But I would say the biggest news, and you touched on it, Kyra, I think uh, perhaps Kyra touched on it in her report, is the new Great Start compensation payments. So, you know, we've done a lot of work. My agency, as you mentioned at the top of the hour, Angela does a lot of work with grants and scholarships and professional development. You know, we've done everything we can around the age uh, the edges, if you will, um, and tried to work on that question of quality. But we haven't cracked that that question of compensation. Mm-hmm. So these support payments will really, we hope, make a difference 
even since the pandemic, we've had some kind of stable ongoing funding to know that this is going to be there, that programs can count on it and start to address the wages in their programs, including family child care homes who can add to their bottom line. We are really, really hopeful that that will help to start to make a difference. Phyllis, what was it like for you to hear Jane talk about burnout? was difficult. You know, it was difficult, um, but it hit a reality. You know, you, you see um, people kind of gauging um, their energy and what have you as they balance um, all, and you could tell she all loves the tasks kids. and things. You, oh, most definitely. She yes. Loves her job. Yes. Thank and bless you, Jane. And we need many, many, many more Janes in this field. Um, I think our, our issue just becomes, again, as much as there is compensation there, what do we all do to value early educators and to really see them, treat them, um, respect them as early educators. And every time we talk about um, uh, the elementary school system, the middle school system, whatever, we start with early childhood and go all the way up, that it's not separate then. Um, because they're doing the same and more at times than some of the teaching staff in these other um, levels of, 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 uh, of the educational system. It's a lot. It is. <laughs> it, is. Yeah. it is. It is. Let's talk to a listener uh, on hold in Minneapolis. This is Paula, who's on the phone. Good morning, Paula. What do you want to tell us about child care? Oh, my gosh. Good morning, Angela. Hi. And hi, Phyllis. Hi, Anne. Hi. This is Paula Landis from YWCA Minneapolis. And I just uh-huh. was so happy to hear everybody talking about the extreme value of high-quality professional development for early childhood educators. Um, I work at YWCA Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. we believe that teacher well-being is at the center of high-quality early childhood education as well. And for six years, we've been running a workforce development program that's um, state-funded and also private organization-funded that helps early childhood educators learn the physical, emotional, and mental well-being strategies, as well as early childhood development principles that support them to stay in the field and become advocates alongside people like Phyllis and Ann and YWCA that are working towards the ways that we need to, as a community, come together to to stabilize the field and reduce that cost. One of the biggest ones is that um, constant attrition and lack of high-quality candidates. And so I was just so happy. I couldn't wait to come and say hi. And so, so Paula, what are you seeing? What 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 troubles you or concerns you the most? Is it just sort of this, this the the burnout and the constant churn of workers? Or is it the increased costs? What do you, what keeps you up at night? Well, actually, it's all of it. So, um, a, a doctor, uh, Doctor Nuttall from Concordia University, St. Paul, recently came out with an article that showed that when micro increases to the things that early childhood teachers perceive is impactful of their well-being. That means program supports. Do I have places to store my phone and my personal belongings, my education, my salary, all those things, as well as the attitudes and relationships in the program. When micro-increases happen, teachers are 700% more likely to not even think about leaving their jobs. And so it's all of it. There's not The point is, is that there's not one thing that fixes this, everybody needs to start looking at micro things that they can do to really show early childhood educators how much they're valued and to give Mm -hmm. them the things that they need to do it. Because when we're a market-driven economy, right, if parents and even teachers themselves and government agents don't understand what well-being is and what it requires, 
nobody is going to say, well, this is worth what mm-hmm. we know it to be worth. They're um, not even talking about the value of early childhood education for the child if we're not talking about the well-being of the people that care for them. That's what keeps me up at night. And the body pain that comes along with it. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for calling in. Uh, let's go to ESCO, Minnesota, where Courtney is on the phone. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. Courtney, tell me what county ESCO, Minnesota is in. We are in Carleton County. Thank you very much. What do you want to tell us? Uh, what's your connection to the childcare industry? Yes, I'm an owner director of ESCO Minis in ESCO, Minnesota, and we care for just shy of 100 kids and have 30 employees. And um, these last seven years have not been easy. COVID made it even harder. And we definitely celebrated this last legislative session and the wins that we got with that, but it's not enough. We haven't had a year where we're not in the red. Uh, The cost of providing quality care is high and our teachers are burnt out. So we're adding more staff, which costs more money. Um, Our teachers are young women and single moms oftentimes, or moms that have you know, significant others that have to provide the insurance because we don't have that. Uh, it's hard. We have a lot of behaviors in our classrooms, and it, they're getting burnt out. Uh, so we add more staff and cost more money, and it's just this constant mm-hmm. um, circle that the we cycle. can't get out of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. do you have people uh, traveling long distances because you're in a, a more rural community? Do you have families um, that are driving a long way? We have a few, but not a lot because Mm -hmm. our community is, we have enough and there are enough providers around that they don't have to travel. Mm -hmm. All right. That's uh, Courtney there from ESCO. Thank you, Courtney. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, Let's take another phone call this time uh, from Duluth. And uh, this is Leah on the line. And Leah, uh, I understand that you work for Child Care Aware as a startup and retention navigator there in Duluth. And so your your job, your work that you're doing is that you help people start their child care businesses and stay in business. Who who is going into this? Who is trying to start a child care business right now? What are you seeing? Wow, yeah. Um, so I have worked with about 50 childcare providers and early childhood educators within the last year of this relatively new program supporting providers. Um, and mostly I'm seeing uh, new moms um, getting into this business because mm. they can't find care for their infants. So, um, so they're forced to leave the workforce and start either a family child care program or to get into a child care center. Wow, that, that's, that's impressive. And so uh, what, are, what are the challenges for people doing this and how can, can you help? Yeah, well, workforce um, has been talked about a lot so far on your show, and that's definitely a big problem that we run into. Um, I help centers get ready with their space. I review blueprints and things like that, help them choose equipment, materials, and help them understand all of the licensing requirements that go into this uh, this industry because, you know, we care so much about the health and safety of our children. So that's regulated carefully through licensing. Um, and so I help folks understand that process. Um, but then when it comes to workforce, there's really not much that I can do. And so um, I get centers ready to go. And then a lot of times, and at least with two of my centers, 
they sit empty just waiting to attract qualified staff so mm. that they can open. And once they're open, they're not operating at their full capacity uh, mm. because they can't find enough staff to do so. And do you have, you know, what are, what gives you some encouragement or what do you see in terms of some solutions that are, are occurring or, or programs to help uh, recruit more workers? What are you seeing that seems to be working or what would you like to see more of, Leah? Yeah, there are some great initiatives um, funded by the state, such as Empower to Educate, that are working on building up the child care workforce. Um, the legislation passed to support child care workers directly through those direct payments a step in the right direction for sure. Um, but we need more funding. Um, we just can't rely on families to pay for um, to pay for child care alone. Uh, we need funding, more funding from the government, and also partnerships with local businesses can be a great solution here. Mm. Also seeing some um, shared services getting started with family child care providers and smaller centers. Um, so that they can increase their purchasing power and be able to access things like benefits or mm-hmm. substitute teachers, things like that. All right. Well, Leah, thank you um, for, for calling in. That's uh, Leah, Leah Butnett, who works for Child Care Aware as a startup and retention navigator out of Duluth. Thank you, Leah. Phyllis, a question for you. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about um, the workers quite a bit. Uh, many child care centers were a- able to boost wages using government funding um, that became available during the pandemic. Um, has that funding helped you at, at your centers? Like, what do you pay your staff now? It has been beneficial, Angela. I don't know if we would have been able to make uh, in the increased kind of adjustments if it had not been present for us. Um, we do our best to be very competitive now, um, um, you know, as much as <laughs> as this field allows. Um, so, but your lead teachers, what do they make approximately? Well, depending upon again, the background and what have you that they come in with, um, we try to at least have an entry level uh, teacher come in at $23 an hour. $23 mm-hmm. an hour. And then uh, aides or and aides beyond. and assistants. Aides and assistants down from there, probably about seventeen fifty dollars uh, for, for the uh, assistant. And then an aide would be uh, less than that. It would be around sixteen fifty. 1675, I believe. So this gets back to you were saying some workers have left to go into other jobs yes. that are less demanding. Yes. Um, and we have two minutes left here. And I'm just, I'm like, what do we need to address before <laughs> our show is? Because uh, there, there are a lot of challenges, but I, I still feel hopeful because uh, people understand how important this right. work is. Yes. Right. I, I will jump in and just say, I think the stars are somewhat aligning now around this thinking differently about this, not as a market-based system, but as a public good. You know, the more we have employers understanding that this is critical for workers, the more we have people saying, I can't go to work unless I have child care. Because employers could help. Absolutely. And we've seen employers be stepping up. As somebody mentioned, the the creative solutions at the community level, looking at different models. There have been models, um, Kyra mentioned the pod model, or maybe that was Hannah. Hannah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is another way to, so how can we create something that's between a center and a family child care home that maybe looks a little different, shared services that Leah just mentioned. So some of those kinds of supports, I think, are really going to be important. But the big, 
takeaway is we need to do this sort of long-term visioning, as I mentioned earlier, where we're really looking at both the parent side and the workforce side mm-hmm. and investing from the, from the government in ways that really make this work, not yes. a math challenge. It way. affects families and it affects the economy. Absolutely. Right? Everything. All right. Well, our time is up for the hour, um, but obviously a topic we need to revisit because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, thank you so much to our listeners who shared uh, their stories today and to our excellent guests. We've been talking with Phyllis Sloan, who's the executive director of La Creche Early Childhood Center, uh, which runs two child care centers there in North Minneapolis, and to Anne McCulley, the executive director of Child Care Aware of Minnesota, a nonprofit funded by the state that educates us all about the, the importance of the child care industry. Thank you for your time today. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.